My name is Richard Morales, and I want to welcome you to The Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspectives of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. In this episode, we'll be talking with Miguel Garcia, the policy coordinator at the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, ARC. Miguel is heavily involved in his community as a youth justice advocate, a passion that began after his own incarceration in the juvenile system. He received his bachelor's degree in political science and international relations from the University of California, Riverside, and serves as a public policy fellow with Human Rights Watch. Today, we want to welcome Miguel Garcia from the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. He's the policy coordinator there to the Prison Post. Good morning, Miguel. Good morning, Richard. We're really excited about hearing your story and some of the work that you do, um, you know, uh, not only in your own personal life and your own personal journey and, and what you're passionate about, but also for ARC. Um, I have some close friends that are that are in a work for ARC, and it's just interesting to see what you guys are doing in the world of uh, restorative justice and the prison reform movement and uh, we're really glad that you're here today. I'm glad to hear you and, um, you know, be able to share my story and share my journey and the work that we do at the Anti-Recidivism Coalition is, um, I'm glad to share the share that experience with y'all. Right on. So Lakers, huh? Yeah, I'm a diehard Lakers fan and basically L.A. fanatic, so Dodgers included. Dodgers, oh, Lakers, teams. out here in Sacramento. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how's, that, how's that working so far? Oh, I definitely rocked the hat when um, they came to Sacramento, so... You know, and you guys do a lot of work with the Kings too, right? Yeah, we do. All you right. don't wear the hat then, though, right? No, nah, I, I don't. <laughs> I try not to, but um, I'll. I, I've been kind of persuaded to um, buy a Kings hat because I've been here for some time already. Sure, or not some time, but for a bit already. Yeah, and I guess I, I'll buy a hat from and represent the team that I'm currently living at. So, Jay, you're a Lakers fan too, right? I am a Lakers fan. Also, well. born and raised in Southern California. <laughs> Well, fun fact, we got uh, three Lakers fans at the, at the table because I'm a Le- LeBron James fan. There you go. And wherever he goes, I go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Miami, Cleveland, and now L.A. I never thought it would be so. But speaking of L.A., uh, Miguel, where did you grow up at? And uh, would you be willing to just share a little bit about your story, your background, and leading up to uh, with your the work that you do today, but also at the age of 15? Yeah, um, so... I kind of want to dial back a little bit. Um, my dad, um, at 15, 14 years old, was the only child of his family to migrate from Mexico um, mm. at a very young age. Okay. Um, my mom was born in East L.A. Um, my dad was older. My mom was younger. Um, they met and had my brother. Um, the relationship was always the best. Um, my dad probably was still dealing with a lot of the problems that he had, you know, encountered as being, you know, a migrant, undocumented um, kid in, in California and being the only one of his family, um, even to still to this day, um, in, didn't kind of mesh out well with the relationship with my mom. So you know, my mom filed for a divorce and kind of raised me and my brother out in, out in Riverside County, um, where basically spent most of all my um, kind of childhood there um, leading up to 15. Um, you know, having a dad um, not being there, present, um, was always a challenge for me. Um, growing up in a neighborhood that had kind of some of the similar background story, but I didn't realize that, that there was a lot of kids out there trying to search for something. Sure. Uh, for me, it was like, how could, I, um, how could I go ahead and handle what I need to handle myself? Because I can't go to someone with my problems. I can't go to that 
or that figure or that that individual that I could I could trust. My mom was always working; she had to work. Um, and my grandma and I stood home with my grandma most of the time, taking care of us um, because my mom couldn't afford a uh, daycare person or babysitter. So right. mostly um, in Hispanic households, you have a family relative that you could kind of um, break them off and t- let them know, like, "Hey, can you take care of my kid?" and for a certain amount. And so my grandma did that. Um, but again, being a kid, a, a lot of things like kind of were happening for me. Um, me wanting to be, seek attention, um, me wanting like kind of just be, you know, the Tasmanian devil. And I say that because like, that's how I was. I was just like that. You go a mile a minute. Yeah. As, as a kid. And, um, I, I was a little bit like that. My mom used to say, you have ants in your pants. Yeah. And I remember even like, just like the, I think that the signs that I think some teachers seen in me was like fifth grade. Um, the teacher called in my mom to come sit with me in the, in class. Um, my freshman year, um, the teacher called again, um, to see like what, what's going on because I was, um, being truant so often. Right. And it's like, so there, there, there is this, this sense of like, you know, what's, what's kind of going on. Um, you know, my mom raised me like morals, respect, all that, all that stuff. Like she did, never told me that this is the wrong thing you should do and you should do it. Um, it was like this. This is wrong, and you shouldn't do it. But again, me being a you know a young kid that didn't have that uh, male role model, kind of just uh, powered me in to doing different types of things, negative things, getting involved in with crowds, um, trying to again show the machismo. I was a I was a rocket. Like I didn't something lit me up. Like I was gonna be like, all right, let's go fire on it. Um, and that's how it, it kind of led me to fifteen. I um was charged um, for a very serious crime. It was premeditated attempted murder, and I was facing 15 years to life at, at that age. Um, it was scary. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I just remember just the, the quietness that my mom had. Um, you know, the, the, just the unknown, like the confusion of going through the court process. It was, um, and it was my first time. So a, you, you never had a run-in with the law before I, this. I I I've never had a run-in with the law. It was it would be always like there'll be calls, right. but it will be like let them go. Like sure, it'll be like I got caught stealing at Walmart. Mm-hmm. I got caught stealing a Harry Potter movie at Walmart, and they're like let them go. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. got in fights in school. Um, you know, suspend them for uh, this amount of days. Like so, like the school was pushing me out. Like, um, you know. My teachers were already thinking that I had this negative bad, bad kid, bad kid, um, you know, bad apple. Yeah. So it, 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 the school is kind of like pushing me out. Like I remember principals coming to me and like saying, like, "Hey, why don't you, why don't you have a good relationship with that guy?" Is like, why? Like, what what's going on? Like, so it, it really felt like that was I actually was pushed out by the school. Um, Miguel, and, Miguel, yeah. going back a little bit though, um, I, I know you talked about like being truant in the ninth grade. And, and, um, and you also talked about not that, that, that lack of the positive male role model in, in your life and not having, so after you guys moved your your dad was no longer around when you guys moved to uh, Riverside. No, nah, he, he wasn't. Um, I think he would always make this, um, excuse that, you know, LA to Riverside was too long of a drive. My job's in LA. I can't, um, 
you know, there's not a job for me in Riverside. Like I can't, I can't go. And it's like, it, it kind of like said a lot, you know, and, and, um, yeah. and now that I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a dad, like I, tr- I, I will, that's, that's my priority is like being there for those special occasions and those special moments when I can, um, while still re- realizing that I'm kind of sacrificing some things too well with the work that I do. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was hard on me. Um, kind of taking that in in my relationship with my father continues to be rebuilt mm-hmm. um you know i think it's a, it's a it's a process because i've since coming home i've kind of just been focused on how i still actually need to heal from the stuff that i've experienced sure. while being incarcerated but also um how to live out here because it's uh, especially right right now is like it's a challenge for all of us and then i think I keep the door open, but I can't. I can't. I can't go ahead and initiate that conversation with my dad. But I, I, I am like, the door is open, and like, dad, you have to be willing to like really initiate the the rebuilding because I think my my time as as in, and because I have a family and all this stuff is it's it's become really com- like there's it's to my capacity. It's, it's, I've been very limited, but um, Miguel, were your parents in in the courtroom when you were sentenced? Uh, yes, um, my mom was and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? I think that was I, it was it was it was it was kind of strange and, and um, tough because my my parents were separated mm-hmm. and my mom had remarried. My stepdad um, was a good man and like, um, but he he was a recovering a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Um, his a cho- a drug of choice was crystal meth, um, but he was he was he was supportive with me. He's like. He was always that one to like, tr- at least try to fill in that sh- those shoes. But back in my mind, I knew that you're not my dad. Like, right? As much as like I, um, and also too like, don't don't um, don't preach if you can't, don't walk. So like knowing that like he had his Practice challenge. Practice what you preach. Yeah, knowing knowing the challenges that he had with his drug addiction, it was it was really hard to take him serious. Yeah. Or uh, there there was very few male role models to take ser- like I like I want to grow up with you and the fr- and the individual that I. I had was was one my my older brother had had that um the looks the academia and it was like a popular guy um but then you know he had his urges with women and and um he had a uh he had a kid at at high school so it was like again there there wasn't no escaping this stigma that you know Young, uh, young brown um, men, you know, get young women pregnant and like go into these different, just just kind of live this type of stigma reality of Hispanic Latino communities. Mm. Um, and it was just like, I kind of I didn't I didn't um it was, it was hard because I knew that um for me is like, there there's more to this. There's more to right. like you know what what the norm of me kind of just us living and so um yeah. I want to I want to sort of press in a, a little bit more because I think there's a debate out there and, and some people believe, well, you don't really need a positive male role model growing up. There's a debate. Some say, well, you don't need a male. And then others, uh, a story. I mean, uh, I was incarcerated 20 years. I heard the story over and over and over, even from my own self, you know, not growing up, knowing my biological father until I was 14 years old. And I felt uh, a void. The only positive male role model in my life growing up was my grandfather. And he's he was probably to this day the the. Now that there may be five uh, men that I look up to in my life, but the only one I had was my grandpa. And 
And so some people say, well, I didn't need a father around. And others say, you know, that affected me. And it sounds like for you that that, that, that was part of your story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I don't want to um, dis- discredit that I didn't have a, a, a male role. I think my uncle was definitely a, a big kind of dr- driver of my worth ethic. It's like you want something, you go get it. And it's like I remember wanting a, a gaming console and I remember just collecting um, cans, like, and remember that a bucket w- of cans would give me $20. $20. And even going into, like, my, my trolley teams, I always knew that a, a bucket of cans would give me $20, so I have $10 t- for the the um, the gram of weed. And then, it, it, so it was just funny, like, I, um, I, I, I was instilled that hustle from uh, my, my uncle and, like, and his worth of, of actually being positive and, like, getting out of that neighborhood, getting out of the neighborhood, um, living in a nice home, uh, it, it, it was very, it, it was instilled in me. And so sure. I, I carried that on into like my, you know, my incarceration is like, um, how do I take advantage of the position that I'm in? Um, so you went, so you went in with that mind frame. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, because, and you were, you were 15. I was 15. And then, and I think, I think just like having saying you're going to get 15 years to life right. is like, okay. What what are the, what are the odds of me? How do I get home like now? That's right. that's that's what I wanted to do is like, and it's challenging to kind of um, navigate. How do I get home in in a setting where um, you're around? For me, it was like you're around a lot of other young people mm-hmm. that are kind of facing some of the similar things like that, but not thinking the same. They're, way. they're not thinking the same way. And then one of the things is like, how do you want to come off too? Is like. You you kind of still have this type of I, I'm I'm no punk you know like right um I'm I'm gonna handle what I need to handle and I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna do my shit you know right like, right and so I don't know we're allowed to curse or anything I mean hey yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, feel free be. um so <clears throat> yeah I, I think um that was challenging because like I remember when I first got there it was like one of the guys was like just being like kind of like obnoxious and it was just like sure. do you have a problem and it was like you kind of just sense the tension change because sure. like. It, 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 was, it was very hard. Again, like, the goal was to get home right. as soon as possible, but the obstacles in the way with, you know, dealing with people and others. Sure. And then it even it even kind of, like, exacerbated when I went on to the Department of Juvenile Justice, which was known as the California Youth Authority, because mm. it and, – and y- y'all probably could um, – I never stepped in, um, inside the adult prison system, but it's just kind of the similar, like sure. – um, the minor leagues of the yeah. political system. They, they used to call it like a gladiator school. Yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like you, you kind of step into that obstacles is where now like, oh, are you a South Sider? Are you a Norteño? Are you a Blood or Crib? Are, right, you, right. are you, you know, so. And you got to be something. You got to be something. And it's just like, um, well, I'm from, I'm from you know, Riverside. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm, I'm from Southern California. I, I basically grew up around all the, you know, the, the su- Southern Hispanic kind of culture. So I guess I'll identify myself as that. And in doing so, like, the the goal of kind of, like, how do I get home quicker yeah. becomes, like, complicated with sure. how do I, how do I yeah, survive to get to home quicker. Right. While still, again, how do, I make, how do I make the 365 days out of the year that I have this year easier so that I can make sure that the next, so that was. Um, because, it's, because it's never just about you when you're inside, right? Right. 
um, especially when you're talking about like race based, gang based politics. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, well, the homies are on the yard, and it's it's going down with the blacks or the whites or whatever the case may be. Right. So it's it's real hard to make that decision for yourself, but you did it. Right. And and, and it um and I, and one of the things is that like that was just that was a really challenge. Like at first, it didn't click to me though. Like mm-hmm. you know, I'm like. How do how do I ride the wave right. so that it could it could be easier? Because if I if I, I went against the current, I'd be like, well, if, if, so, if something happens with you, you ain't gonna get don't 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 expect nothing to from us or anything sure. like that. Sure, sure. So there's like, I was like, okay, riding the wave and then like having rode rode the wave and then f- seeing and like seeing like so much of the injustice, like just kind of like. You know, having having a, a, a room next to a, a black person and having mm-hmm. those conversations, or, um, having like a room next to an Asian um, and having those similar conversations and just laughing and like, um, just like you're and or you're a cool dude, right? Like, just ha- at the at the end of the conversation, you're a cool dude. Like there, there that was that was like some of the some of the ways that a lot of the conversations that I had was like you're a cool, like with other people from different backgrounds was like. You're a cool dude. It was like you're a cool dude too. Um, it's because there were so many similarities that in the beginning, I think with the syst- the way the system it was set up was like to fog them up and like just say that you're you're, you're unique. You know your story. Sure. Like, but I was noticing that just so many people had different like, regardless of the um, different walks of life, had similar backgrounds and stories such as mine. Yeah. Uh, we used to say in, in, in Solidarity, the community is method. Community is a method of treatment. You get guys from all different backgrounds together sitting in the same room doing, you know, therapeutic work or insight work or just talking. And they realize, wow, I'm just the same as uh, these guys are all the same as me. We have similar stories. But um, <clears throat> take us back, man. I mean, uh, how old are you today? 27. 27 years old. So 15 is not too far removed remove from you uh, in a way that it might be from Jay. No, no, no. 41. We've already established that you're older right, than me, I'm Rich. a little older. But <laughs> I, 42. Uh, my quinceanera is not that far away. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, going back, you know, 12 years, 12 years, you know, I think about some, some of our listeners and they may be thinking, my goodness, my son is 15 right now, 14, 16, and he's in this room playing his Xbox. And I can't imagine that you're going to Department of Juvenile Justice uh, to CYA for four years, five years, at the age of 15. What's going through your mind at 15 years old when you're facing this amount of time? I was that kid playing that Xbox, too. I'm like, what happened? Um, I didn't mean to do it. I, I didn't want to do it. I, 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 I didn't mean no harm. All, all those things, because that, um, that wasn't me. Um, I, I think that that's not who I was going to be. Again, I've always wanted to be someone that was different um, from that stigma of a of a young brown man that didn't kind of have his father around. Um, and so you knew you didn't yeah. want that narrative to be yours for the rest of your life. Yeah, but <clears throat> again, it was scary. Um, you know, stepping into the courtroom. Um, not being able to um, knowing your parents are there, but not being able to turn around and mm. and and see that they're there for you because it, just like the 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 way the setting is uh, sure. uh, in the court um, was scary. I I'm I'm not gonna like sugarcoat it because it was scary. I didn't I didn't know what was gonna happen. Um, 
but looking at it like back, I think the audience should be aware that you know someone the 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 harm that I committed was very serious um but it didn't define me it didn't it it, it, it it's not it was if it was to, supposed to define me for fifteen years to life, I wouldn't be here even having this conversation right um you know i i I needed the treatment I needed like guidance and I needed help um I, I just I just want to like let people know about like that type of um how much how, how much time did you actually serve Miguel? I served about four years in DJJ. So, how did how did you come to earn your release so early? So I was um, so I was sentenced under California's Department of Ju- um, Juvenile Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be sentenced up to juvenile life, which is under their jurisdiction was twenty five. That's that's basically my whole sent. That's what I was going to be going up to. But so a life sentence at equals life, staying in until you're 25 years old. And under juvenile justice, yeah, um, of your of your sentence under that. Um, but it gets even more complicated. Like you get you get assigned categories um, based on the harm that you committed. Mm. And so um, category ones are like very serious, like um, murder. Um, you know, sexual harms um, that that include rape, um, torture, um, very very serious things. Um, mine was a, a category two, um, which was an attempted um, you know murder. It was it may be categorized as an assault, assault with deadly weapon, um, you know, burglary, something of that that sort. So the two unique differences between a category one and two is a category one is required uh, is that they at least the earliest possible release date is eight years. Okay. Um, for category two is like the earliest possible release date is four years. And so, um, again, I came in like not, not, um, not like my, with my P's and Q's, but like with my, you know, my fist up. And so I had gotten a time ad. And so my first years, I, I got like six month time ad. And so I was, um, it went up to like my earliest possible release date went up to like four months and um, four years and six months that I was okay. gonna. And then it, um, I think I, I again getting another time it went up to four years and eight months. And so I was like, dang, like this happened in like within my first year. And so again, having those conversations with people in the inside that ended like you're a cool dude, mm-hmm. kind of like pushed me away from riding that wave. Um, I love playing basketball. Mm-hmm. If you know, like anyone inside, like especially, I think the Hawaii games are a lot different than the um, the prison. But like, you hardly would see any um, any Latinos or any um, um, Hispanics playing basketball. We'll be playing soccer more often, but and you know, we did play basketball. Some of the homies didn't know how to like really play. They'll sure. be like, are you you're fouling too much or something like that. Right. And but I love playing basketball, and yeah, um, and, and some of the brothers would. I like to compete. I don't want to like you know. Um, I like to play a good uh, physical game and like if you're gonna play, let's yeah, play. Let's play. Let's play some, um, yeah. some real, some real ball. Um, and so again, just that thing, like being, being like, who could I play with? Or who could I not play right. with? Um, the second year, um, at the you know my end of my second year within DJJ, I was already, um, again, I got incarcerated on 15, going on to 16, and then it, it, like my years that I spent were were my birthday going on to my next one. Mm. And so 
17 going on to 18 was like around um, the end of my second year. And I just was like, this was not kind of the thing that I wanted to do. Like, um, there was drama just within like being within my own ethnicity, like with the hustle that I, I the side hustle that I wanted to do is like, there was just so much animosity. I was like, where's all, where, where, where's all the purpose that I thought I was, um, the reason that I was riding this way for, like, where's that all at? Um, and it was just kind of, again, like it was a facade. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't a reality. Um, it was something that was trying to um, put in place the support that young men and young women need when they're in, in, in that place. Sure. And, it, and, and it's a negative thing. And so when I came with that realization and with the conversations that I had with different people and just like the times that I was like on would get like write ups or anything, like it really was like a really awakening. It's like this is not this is not a place for. Um, young young people, mm. and this is not a place for people in general to get help or be rehabilitated. And so I kind of like committed myself to kind of stepping back and stepping away. There was challenges. People were trying to test the authenticity of me stepping back, mm-hmm. um, and that was challenging. Like you know, still wanting to program, but seeing that like people would test your program, right? Like, and it's just like. You didn't know, like you you would hear like um you know conversations down the wire, like you know people were like oh like let's pack them out let's roll them out or um because I've seen that before sure and it's just like it but again the I think the consistency of them testing my authenticity um resulted in like this 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 dude's like real like he's he really like is about you know one like. He he believes that not just one one group of people don't belong here, but he believes that all group of people that are inside here don't belong in these types of settings. Um, he 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 wants to actually do good, um, so that he could come back like and come home. Like the, the again, the testing of my authenticity was like a, a result of like oh, we respect him now. Sure. Um, but it was it was they, it was like they, they saw challenged. they saw that you were committed. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, um. I think that's awesome because yeah. we, we know some people who are 60, 60 years old and they haven't come to that realization yet. Or if they did, they continue to let their actions be in alignment with, with um, that old negative thinking, negative behavior, and they're just still on that path. But you coming to that in, in CYA as a teenager and taking a stand in there, I mean, uh, it sounds like you planted your flag and said, here's, here's my stand, uh, come what may. And uh, from my experience, that's, that's – it doesn't happen too often. It's possible, but it doesn't happen too often. But you did, and then the result of that, which I experienced myself, is that they come to respect you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, it, I could just tell you, like, the unsure moments of, like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to kind of feel dehumanized, not just by already with the situation you're in, but dehumanized by the population that you're inside with. So that, sure. that was kind of always the scary thing. Like, is like, cause I've seen people get rolled out. It's just like, Oh, like stripping them. And like, you know, just, just kind of embarrassment. And it's like, that, that's not, that's not who I wanted, but for our audience who doesn't know what rolled out means, can you yeah, tell like, a little bit about what that means? So depending on the group that you roll with, um, if they don't like something that you do or you did, or like, you're kind of like walking, um, you know, dragging the fence and still kind of cooperating with that group. Um, they'll beat you up, strip you, 
um, embarrass you. Um, and it could be a group of people. So the the weeding out who did what and did how is like it's difficult, and you don't want to be that person to then point out who did what, who did what, and and how. So it, it that 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 um that gets like you know that that's a rollout. Um, those are the things that you know happen, and um, I've seen it happen. And yeah, Miguel, were you were you incarcerated when two sixty came into play? So I was leaving when two sixty um SB two sixty yeah, and so I, I guess I I can share a story about it and that and um yeah so I I got involved like again I I I wanted to do something different um every program that was offered in the DJJ I was like okay college program um coastline community college like I don't like it the high course but those corresponding courses yeah. like really really hard. Um, like, but I wanted to get involved. I'm like, wanted to continue my education. I'm like, okay. My, my, another thing is like, my parents are like really driving a lot over here. Like, how do I, how do I like, um, and it was like from Riverside to Ventura. That's like a four hour drive mm. through traffic. It could possibly be more. I'm like, let me just tell them like, I don't need the, the, I, 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 re, I appreciate them, their consistency in visiting me, but I would rather have them step back so that I could heal more on my own. Um, and so I started getting, I was uh, the first um, youth, young um, ward at the time to, throughout the whole entire state of California to earn $2.50. Um, I was making more than the fire crews. That's out, big, that's big money inside. Yeah. Outside, outside of fifty an hour. Yeah. Outside <laughs> of, I was making two, um, I was making more money outside of the fire crews. Yeah. Um, if there wasn't no fire. So, Two fifty an hour. Yeah, I've never heard of that. So <laughs> he was balling. So so because um, like the the inmate ward labor crew, which was that's what it was called, um, had a contractor that mm. would pay us a dollar, yeah. and the state would pay us a dollar fifty. Oh wow! And so they put those two together um, so that we could get two dollars and fifty cents. Um, I, I think it's it's important just to to note that it's impressive. Two fifty an hour is impressive to three formerly incarcerated men because the average rate was eight cents yeah. an hour. That so, was my job before before yeah. leaving was yeah. eight cents an hour. So one of the things is that um, we we worked. Um, I I have ad, I advocated inside to, for that wage because um, prior to getting that wage, we were working on on a project. It was on um, their. Um, lock up um, BTP facilities, behavioral treatment programs for youth that can program with other youth. So it's a lockup unit. Um, and they were only giving us a dollar. It's like, this is really like laborious work. Like you're having us pick up, you know, all the demolition um, work that you have, digging these like six by six foot footings where the dirt is like literally almost turning into clay with like shovels. Right. Um, and so I was very fortunate enough to advocate to, for that 250. Um, and um, I was a lead laborer for 25, um, you know, other youth. Um, and I advocated, too, that these youth not just only come from, you know, low or moderate core units, but also to units that are also in high core that for youth that are wanting to go ahead and transition back into the lower or mod, moderate, moderate units so that they could continue programming. Um, I took advantage of that, as well as the scholarships that they were offered, um, came home with $5,000 in cash from that. Um, and that was within like a 18 to two month period or two year period. Um, and that was like around 
you know, like my 18th going all the way to 20 years old, Seven, 17, 18, yeah, going all the way to 20, 20 years old. Um, and yeah, and, and, and while I was in part of this journey, Scott, um, he would come in, um, Scott, Scott Budnick, Budnick, yeah. um, mm-hmm. he would come in and, you know, break down these conversations and SB 260, he brought it up and this was like, um, my discharge date was coming up. I had, um, I was doing good. So I had the, those eight months of like that, those time ads that I had, I had them reduced. So I was able to make my four year period, like, um, originally, and then he came in here and, he, and talked about like how SB 260. I'm like, okay, let me reverse back and, and put myself in the shoes and 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 be in the position where I could qualify for SB 260. You know, I want to be able to show him that you know people c- like that that commit serious harms can change. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't think nothing of it. They said, can you guys write your letter, your assembly member, um, a letter and, and um, asking for them to support. I, I wrote him a, a letter um, and with the help of a, a, psych, a psychiatrist that I was talking to at the time because I needed to find out what an assembly member was and what they do. And so I explained my story. I write, wrote it down. I turned it into the class that he present, um, Scott Budnick presented to and then um, didn't think nothing of it. Around the time that I was gonna about to be discharged, um, I heard SB 260 pass. Um, the assembly member that I wrote to had you know, read my letter along with Scott and Scott kind of reached out to me back while I was inside. He's like, what do I want to do when I, I was like, well, I want to change the world. Like he said, well, start with Riverside first. And he's like, that's, that's <laughs> where you're coming home. And he's like, yeah. He's like, all right, cool. Um, and that was actually my first job kind of stepping in was working with a state assembly member. I had an interview with them. Um, I was fresh out. I think I was 20 years old, like fresh out. And I, I went in with the resume that uh, with the experience that I only had from DJJ. Okay. And so um, definitely put my construction experience. I worked at the Central Kitchen. Yeah. Um, just kind of all these um, little little things like you know the certificates. Like I'm like did, my network cabling one. Did you did you reword it? Did you say I have experience in the culinary arts? <laughs> no, I I, I, I I think now that I would say is like yeah yeah something similar to that. But sure. I would say I was I have experience in the culinary arts for the I'm um, the state of California. There you go. So that's something that I would I would probably <laughs> make um, that make that resume work for you. Yeah, and um, basically it was like but he gave you a shot. The assembly member gave me the shot. The district director um, kind of like just trashed me. Like mm. basically, if he had a red pen and like uh, if it, if his words had were a red pen and and took to my resume at the time, it would basically be a a, a pull of red, right? Because the way he just criticized and said, "This is that. This is this. This and that." Like we don't really do this, or like, do you know what you're like? It was just like really. What am I doing here? Am I am I am I am I capable of this? Mm. His office was at the, um, located at the University of UC Riverside, which is like um, Riverside County's um, biggest university, um, and, and as, as well as part of the UC system. And so, just being there is just like kid just fresh out around college students. I'm in a state um, a state office, and the district director saying like, "Do you know what you're doing?" Or um, and isn't that true? It, we we talk about that some uh, me and Jay uh, we're directors for the crop organization and we have that conversation often about they're on the one hand they think that people who are coming out of incarceration hey they got to go to construction they got to go to to uh, fast food 
you know, that, that that's all their, their brains are capable of. And then there are those who say, who, who, who have another perspective, which is I see a person as he could be, and then I give him a shot in that way. And if I see him as he could be, then he could come out after a few months and work for an assembly person. And even though he may only have culinary arts experience, he's young, he's driven, he has a great work ethic, he's here, and we're going to teach him, and we're going to help him, and we're going to mentor him. I mean, you have, you're always going to have those um, people with competing conversations, competing perspectives. But isn't it, what, isn't it so much more empowering to be the person who's saying, I see it, who he could be, and I'm going to give him a shot? Absolutely. Um, if I didn't have the conversation with the boss man himself there, I don't think I would have got the job. Mm-hmm. I, don't even, I think my morale would have been like, okay, you know, what fast food can I work to? Or, hey, Theo, like, do you have a construction job that I could do? I have, the, I have those skills. Um, I need to do something. Another one with construction yeah. for people who love construction. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying that there are, there are, uh, uh assumptions. Uh, There's assumptions about what we're capable of. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. um, yeah. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, basically, um, that needs to be thrown out the door because, sure. um, of assuming a person, um, that comes home from incarceration can't, uh, uh, accomplish something is like you're, you're, you're placing the wrong bets. Like, that's right. um, you. You don't know what these individuals are capable of, um, and I think that's what, that's what we need to invest in is like the opportunity of uh, the what they can be capable of. Sure, and it's and it's really um, to everyone's detriment mm-hmm. because you're overlooking like valuable employees, valuable policy directors, valuable communications directors. You know, people who can really um, put um, a lot of worth behind your organization. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Future entrepreneurs as well. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I got that opportunity. The boss man, um, the assembly member, Jose Medina, said, you know, you come highly recommended. It, uh, recommended. Um, we're going to give you a shot. Again, um, by providing an opportunity is like just just one just um, one hurdle out the way. Mm. You know, winning, winning over a, a staff, winning over a very conservative area like, you know, and the work that you do, and, and especially the person who you are and the background you are, um, is a challenge because field representative at the time, um, one of his field representatives at the time was a former um, lieutenant for the Riverside Police Department. And he had said a comment that said, normally we don't hire formerly incarcerated people. Um, hopefully he doesn't get mad and shoot up the place one day. Mm. I was like, well, okay, I guess th- there's that tone that, you know, and what the tone, like, you know, it, what is he capable of is like, how do I prove them wrong? Um, didn't, um, as 15, I didn't really learn how to drive, so I didn't learn how to drive until either when I came home right away. So my mom still had to pick me up um, from the corner to drive, uh, drop me off at my job. So um, those were some of the challenges. I'm still learning how, um, learning to drive at, at, already, uh, um, at an adult age was um, you know, unique for me. Um, I had a, a, a very good and stern instructor was my uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, going in day out, I'm um, like without pay, um, for three months, I think demonstrated that I was, I was committed to my community. Mm-hmm. Um, they extended, right. they extended it for another three months. Um, I had a conversation with the, the chief of staff. She's like, would you want to work here? I'm like, yeah. Like who wouldn't want a state job? Like, you know, especially someone coming home. But then I had a, another conversation with the the member himself, the state assembly member. Said I want I, I want you to go to school, like um, I want you to uh, finish it up, and all this stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. Like 
I enrolled in community college. And then that, then the thing is like, well, I don't have a job. Mm. So the same person, um, the former, um, you know, lieutenant um, and field representative, same person that said that comment was the same person that got me my first paid job um, through the community college, which was extremely helpful. Was able to get priority registration. For those that don't know that returning to community college or going to community college is challenging for some students because um, community colleges can't meet the high demand for those that are graduating and wanting to come back. So there was the classes that I needed um, or wanted um, at times where, like, you know, when I first came home, were they weren't available. They weren't available. Right. And so that six-month internship of working with that assembly member, um, you know, winning over the staff, the staff connecting me with the community college, um, you know, was helpful because I was doing outreach work. You know, the groups that I would I would always volunteer for is, like, giving probation tours or people that are coming home from jail or prison is, like, let me help you enroll in FAFSA. Like, and their doubts is, like, I don't think I qualify for this or, like, let me, I could, I could actually answer your question. Like, did you do this or do that? And like, no, I'm like, you do qualify for it. So, um, helping to guide and navigate, um, um, individuals was something really helpful, but I never kind of like had my like head high, like, Oh, I was in a state assembly. Just cause I, I started off at that point wasn't something that like, um, I'm not going to accept nothing or I won't do nothing less. Mm. Um, because I needed to eat and I was hungry. And so um, while I was in community college, I had to work almost three jobs. Um, I worked at Applebee's for as a, as a host, as a person that kind of did the monitoring of the food, as, as well as a dishwasher. I remember friends picking me up at like 3 o'clock in the morning because um, that's when we will and like all the dishes would be clean or sometimes four. Um, I remember working at um, Walgreens and getting um, getting yelled at because I didn't pick up the um, the right marble marble reds or the Virginia Slims. I didn't I didn't, <laughs> I didn't pick the right cigarettes. Like, right. Um, and but I ne- I always I, again I knew that I, I was going to have to work to what I needed to do. Like, mm. um, and so working two to three jobs um, was something part of it because the limited opportunities. I I knew that if I the um the way I started off with office like working for a state office, I knew that the the opportunity to get that wasn't gonna be the same way that I got it the first time. So I had to build up like character and all that stuff. So um I went and did that and for community college I was taking a lot of community college courses um that would have eventually when I finished in two thousand and sixteen, I would have left with three associate degrees. I kinda slacked off um, I, t- I think I told Richard I call it senioritis because I already had uh, enough credits for one associate degree, so I'm like, why am I doing it for another two? Right. And so I didn't pass one class, but I'll tell you just, like, my persistence to want to get it done, like, later on is, like, when I transferred over to UC Riverside where I got my bachelor's degree, um, I didn't work no more two- to three-odd jobs. I started working for a law office that I got, um, that I applied through my school was a family law. Um, why law? Um, why law? Yeah. Um, man, why not? Why <laughs> I, not? I, I think I think um, for you know, communities like you know ours that have been impacted is like we need lawyers. Um, sure. You know, family members. Uh, you know, I, I, I my my brother had a tree fall on his car. 
and he's told the city like they're not and they're not going to be able to um they're not going to repay for it because they said that it was it was neatly trimmed um there was good weather on that day so it it was like like you could i could be that lawyer to help you get your money sure. or um also to the instances of like um families just like you know people that are either um fighting to, for someone to have a second chance um that's something that i look for but also to accountability um having dealt with the system and seeing like the injustices and things like that that's the type of lawyer that i want to be is that prison reform prison reform mm-hmm. um so you want to be a lawyer yes are Absolutely. you so you got your bachelor's degree. What was your bachelor's degree in? In political science and international affairs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Are you still going to school? Um, I'm in, in process of applying. So I'm collecting my letter of recommendations for my law school applications this, um, this fall. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Miguel, man, I mean, your story is, uh, I think about just, what, seven years ago, um, you were coming out. And when I was looking you up on, on LinkedIn and on the ARC's website, I'm just seeing like, um, you know, the policy coordinator for the anti-recidivism. Uh, I wrote down a few of them. Um, part of the restorative justice project at Impact Justice. Um, policy fellow with Human Rights Watch. Was that with Elizabeth Calvin? Yes, it was. And served as the youngest commissioner ever appointed to the Riverside County Juvenile Justice Delinquency Prevention Committee. Former Western Regional Board Member for the Coalition of Juvenile Justice Executive Board. Appointed by Governor Jerry Brown to the California State Advisory Committee on Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. Member and consultant of the Annie E. Casey Juvenile Justice Strategy Group Youth Advisory Council. I mean, um, and got your bachelor's degree, political science, international relations, and now looking towards a law degree. And when I think about that, man, I'm just, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm proud of you as, 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 a, as a formerly incarcerated person, as a friend, as a man, and as a human being. And I think about the family members who, who have their loved ones who are incarcerated, and they're wondering, can my loved one get out and change his life? Can he go to college? Can he graduate from college? Is it going to be possible for him? I mean, are, are you an anomaly, or are these things possible for everyone? These things are possible for everyone. Um, you know, I had to go out and get the resources um, to, from another county, but that doesn't mean that these resources can be found in, in their own home counties. I think the work that I'm doing on right now is to develop the infrastructure and build the infrastructure where community-based organizations that are culturally competent as well as like uh, aware of like the struggles that many formerly and system impacted face can help them out um i still reach out to these same organizations that were i'm I'm still needed guidance so that's that's very helpful i mean obviously you're a person with deep drive your passion and it sounds like your your drive is juvenile justice yes yeah, my drive, um, again, personal experience from juvenile justice. Um, I just see that um, I have like the, the the academia experience, but I'm, I'm I'm striving for more academia experience. My personal experience, um, but also to uh, those that have been involved in the adult prison system, learning from them, learning from you know the challenges that they face, have um, been able to inspire my work and able to help change that. Um, you know, with you know, the Prop 17, getting um, for, for, um, folks who are on parole to vote. Um, that's work that I've been fortunate enough to be involved with other organizations. Um, there's also the, the parole reform where helping folks um, get earn their way off parole. Like there's things that, you know, money that we're wanting to allocate for emergency housing that, you know, where people are returning home that 
they're able to go ahead and be in a place where they can get the services and they don't feel neglected. So um, I'm very um, fortunate enough to be surrounded by a lot of individuals that I continue to learn, but don't don't kind of heavily um, depend on my own wisdom because I, I, I think it's a team effort and I think the work that crop organization is doing and um, UNJ is like, it's 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 it's, it's, um, it's fueled to the work that we do and I do. Thank you. Appreciate that. I just want to know a little bit about ARC. Yeah. So Anti Recidivism Coalition, are pretty well known up and down the state, but a lot of people who don't know, we're just curious about what do you guys do? What do you offer? If someone's coming out or if somebody's still in, what could they if they they were looking for help? What does ARC do? So our, our organization is pretty unique in, what, in ways that it does three things. Um, some organizations may do two. Some organizations may do one um, or neither. Just, um, But our organization does three. Um, and those three things are policy. We advocate in reforming and changing policy throughout the state as well and local jurisdictions through Sacramento County as well as Los Angeles. Our organization also helps with in, inside programming. Um, we have a hope and redemption team that goes inside of Pelican Bay, all the DJJ facilities, some of the county jails in Sacramento, and some of the um, county jails in Los Angeles County. Mm-hmm. We um, go inside also a variety of other state prisons where we help provide um, a hope and redemption re- curriculum where some are in, um, some are guided on how to navigate the parole process. Mm. And this team is comprised of, you know, former lifers, um, individuals that have gone through the same similar um, situations um, and have navigated um, parole successfully. Um, So, and another thing is with reentry, lastly, is um, we help um, folks reintegrate back into society with direct services that include job development, education, as well as counseling. our organization right now during this pandemic has been picking up people from outside the gates and driving them home through our ride, ride home program. So, have you been on any of those? No, I haven't. I um, I, I want to be going on some of them soon because I we believe that DJJ is, is going to be starting that soon. So, but I'm excited. And what about as a policy coordinator? What's some of the work that you do? What's what's a typical day like for a policy coordinator? And you just share a couple of stories uh, that highlight some of the some of the rewards of that uh, opportunity? So I think um, one of the greatest rewards is working with other organizations throughout the state and getting other input. Um, I think, you know, I had a colleague of mine um, say, like, sorry for going back and forth with you um, on this. Is like, don't don't apologize. I'm glad we're going back and forth on this because it's, it's something that we will want to go forward on. Um, and th- this is the type of dialogue that it's needed to be have. Um, I think in terms of that work is like how 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 is the state responding to um, COVID nineteen in state prisons? How mm-hmm. is states responding to the DJJ closure, and um, how does that look like? As well as some of our policy bills, like um, you know, so some some legislators may have a different tone one week, and then they have a tone the next week. Um, sure, uh, <laughs> it's just the the meetings that we have, like you know, they'll pop up randomly and then you have to become an expert on what that meeting is on on a short time notice what are your thoughts about the way the cdcr is handling this covid19 pandemic um i think they're very unfortunate um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very um saddened by kind of the 
the lack of accountability as well as like the direction that some of our, our facilities need. And I think it, it's going by a, a, a single by single base institution when it needs to be going by a collective, sure. um, you know, direction. And I think just one of the things is the transferring. I think that's, that needs to be looked into when, when you're talking about human bodies, like how does, um, the transferring of individuals look like right i do have another question for you in regards to i mean as a policy coordinator policy director of arc what do you think in your opinion is the single most important piece of legislation or policy that needs to occur to help returning citizens be equipped to successfully reintegrate in society I think I want, I'll probably be biased on this, um, but prop, voting um, and restoring the rights to vote for people on parole, okay. um, Prop 17. Um, I think everyone that has served their time, um, mm-hmm. and it, again, parole is not an extension of a punishment, but is, it, um, is a transition period in making sure that the individual is successful. Um, I think restoring voting rights to individuals is, is critical to um, our the way our country's civic service operates and without um you know including a a population which is disproportionately always affected in different realms um i think by excluding them it's it's detrimental to what real public safety could look like um and so i'm I'm excited to see um voters be more educated on prop 17 and how that could um when you have a voice you you feel like you have a purpose and so we want to return that um, that purpose to folks that are tax-paying citizens, that are business owners, entrepreneurs, mm. um, and our families. So, Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, uh, I went to speak at the Capitol before it was Prop 17, before it got there. It was ACA 6, and I remember speaking for it at a press conference and saying, you know, hey, I served nearly 21 years. I'm still a citizen of this country, right? And I believe that I should have voting rights. And I don't know, it's been over 100 years. If I don't know if, if those on parole ever had voting rights in California. But uh, for us not to be able to vote and come out, um, I feel like some of the those uh, assembly members or senators who voted no think that it is, that parole is an extension of, of, of uh, incarceration, that it should you should continue to be punished. I mean, it, it's hard enough. I came out here and somebody had stolen my identity while I was on the inside. So immediately I had a credit score in the 500s. I couldn't get into an apartment. And then they want two years, two years of, um, um, you know, rental history. And then they want uh, two years or of, of, of job um, um, showing that, that you've been working and what, what, your, what your wages are. And I didn't have any of that. So it's like that part of the system is set up, set up for me to, to fail and I think there should be some reform in that area. Getting the right to vote may, be able, may allow us to make it, you know, what is there, over 50,000 uh, uh, people on parole in California? Oh, yep. And, and, and give us an opportunity to, to, to make an impact, to have our say. I'm paying taxes. I volunteer in the community. I speak at, at church, at, at recovery groups, at AA, and uh, celebrate recovery. And, and live my live my life as a person that's giving back, and I'm not doing anything different than any other citizen would. So I'm, I'm you know, I just want to encourage um, um, people to look into Prop 57 and really weigh out the the benefits. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that me uh, or, or Jason, after coming out 20 years, it wouldn't be have our voting rights restored. Right, right. It's, it's important. Um, yeah, and and look forward to that. So, yep. 
any new bills uh, in closing, uh, new bills uh, on the horizon that, that family members of the incarcerated uh, need to know about that could affect their loved one? Right now, um, I think the work that we're doing, I think we, we looked at it in a lens that a lot of programming may be affected and making sure that the funding is, like, not taken away in those places. Um, we're also looking at the the big trans, transition thing and the, the custodial interrogation. Um, I believe those two bills are for the transition of individuals whose cases originate in juvenile court. So say mm-hmm. your case starts in, in juvenile court. So, so say you, you get locked up at 17, but you turn 18. You, you're not going to go to a county jail. You're still, you'll stay within a juvenile facility up to, up to 21. And so that's SB 1111. Um, the authors um, and the co-sponsors about that, this bill um, thought about this bill because, one, identifying, like, the transfers and how that becomes an issue with um, spreading COVID. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that knowing that the programming that one individual may re- be receiving um, – at 17, will look different at 18 because they're in a jail now and seeing, like, what's available in a jail as compared to what's going to be available in a juvenile facility. So um, making sure individuals are are staying in, in, in juvenile settings, but also it will kind of boost up their opportunity to stay within the juvenile system if they're looking to be tried as adults. So looking at the 16, 17-year-olds who, who, who the judges still have discretion on whether they should try them as adults, is is a bill that we're looking at. So SB 1111, as well as, I don't want to get the number wrong, but I think it's SB 203, which will limit the um, interrogation process for, I think, 14 and 15-year-olds. Because there's a lot of nuances and complexities on your Miranda rights, and we want to make sure that um, individuals within a specific age range understand what that means so that's great miguel thank you for joining us on the prison post i'm just uh really grateful for you coming today sharing your story if people want to look look up um the anti-recidivism coalition is it anti-recidivism coalition.org correct okay you could google it find out your resources they have offices in los angeles and sacramento correct and, um, and and when the non-COVID situation, they could find you at the office on a regular basis? Yes, um, and right now we're located on K Street, but we'll be moving to another office soon. But our phones are always available, and you can go ahead and um, contact me via email. All right. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you for using your time, your talents, and your efforts to make a difference in the world of restorative justice and prison reform. Appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Jay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of the Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our videocast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.